Hey you, yeah you, come join our Discord. The Mixing Music Discord server is filled with tons of awesome information and people. People that can help you out and information that can help you grow your business and to help you improve your mixes. So come join us and find the invitation link at mixingmusicpodcast.com. to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, The Glue Loom. Let me bring that mix together. Yes, and today we have an episode, well, we're trying, we were trying to do a read the manual episode about the SSL G-Bus, um, which turned out to be one of the worst Google search queries we've ever ran. And uh, there's nothing really came up because I guess it's so simple. And no blogs, not even Wikipedia, had a good description of what it does. I mean, we all know the VCA, the famous VCA compressor, the SSL bus compressor is crazy simple. It's, it's really simple. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about how we like to use VCA compressors, the various different types that we've used. Um, We'll go into, I mean, obviously we'll talk about what a VCA compressor is. And then I found one blog that specifically in more technical terms talks about what a VCA compressor is or what a VCA is and how the detection and versus gain reduction circuit works. And I'm going to read more about how what a VCA compressor actually does on the inside. What does it mean, a voltage-controlled amplifier? Does it alter its gain? You know, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that as I read a blog on uh, what the heck a VCA is to begin with. But first off, Lou, um, what are things that you like to use a VCA compressor? Hands down, one of my favorite things is drums. Honestly speaking, like a drum bus uh, with a good VCA, you can really make that snare crack or tuck in it to its pocket. Uh, They're pretty damn clean, and using it for, like, parallels is also really nice. Although I have been using more Veramuse for parallel lately, but um, VCAs are typically, like, my go-to for drum buses. Yeah, VCA is Mm -hmm. uh, VCA-type compression is notorious for being very controllable. Right. I mean, you look at the SSL type stuff, there's a wide range of pretty fast attack times, not yeah. hyper fast like the 1176, but fast attack times to uh, really slow attack times. Yeah. Same with releases and um, oftentimes modern day bus compressors, VCA, VCA bus type compressors are have a built in sidechain, high pass filter sidechain um, in the actual unit itself, which makes it really easy to use. Yeah, drums are really good for it. Mixed bus in general. Some some crazy statistic like 86% of records go through hit records go through an SSL. I thought I thought I saw that on a bus somewhere, but now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, how the heck do they measure that? Yeah. Where, <laughs> where is this metric? Yeah, what what does this metric mean? 86% of of which records that does what is the <laughs> Like what was the sample size? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of the current top 40 i guess i don't know i have no idea anyway um ssl is one of the most famous ones we also got api we got dangerous we got Mm -hmm. even overstare what else do we have we have uh vertigo has a vca type compressor the obsidian from dramatic audio or whatever it is um there's a bunch and they're mostly all to a certain degree 
uh, kind of like SSL clothes. Like, I don't know if SSL was the one who did it first, but I think that they just did it most iconically. Like the SSL uh, E and C series consoles were like some of the most sought after consoles for mixing for the longest. Um, and the G was considered to be the most like musical of the two, while the E was considered a little more precise. But because of that, you hear a lot about the G bus, you know. So I think it's just a, a fact of popularity. Like if you had an SSL studio, you had an SSL G bus or whatever bus compressor was on the board. Um, so much so that it's part of their marketing even now. If you buy a smaller console, uh, typically it will come with some sort of bus compression. Like the SSL XL desk comes with the G bus 500 series. If you get the Matrix, it doesn't come with it because that's part of its gimmick. You know, it just it doesn't do that. But if you get even like the legacy consoles or even the AWS like baby size like 16 channel ones, like it still comes with the bus compressor. Absolutely. Okay, I found I found this website. The VCA compressor was developed by David Blackmer in a period that went from 1970 to 1973. That's interesting. It wasn't that long ago. Um, well, I guess that is 50 years ago, but the first applications of this technology succeeded in several areas, such as transient restore, noise reduction systems, subharmonic synthesizers, other than that, other than obviously the compressor itself. All those applications were well represented in the products by Blackmer's design, the DBX. So it sounds like DBX hmm. was the first people to use VCA. But that being said, it sounds like they use it for a lot more than just compression. Yeah. Because, I mean, DBX does have uh, noise reduction, subharmonic subsynths, right? Mm -hmm. The subharmonic synthesizers. I didn't realize that the VCA went into that too. Um, well, but that actually makes sense. Now, I never thought about connecting the two. Whenever I heard about oh, control the VCA on this synth or that synth, I never, I never connected to if that is in fact what's connected. Yeah, the um, I didn't know DBX was the first to make it, but I mean SSL is obviously like one of the most popular, famous ones to ever utilize it. Would that have been the one sixty uh, VU, or what model would that have been? I have no idea. It doesn't say which is kind of interesting. Yeah, which uh which unit was the first one necessarily, but there are mentions of SSL. First VCAs were made by discrete components in specific housing. The first DBX compressors, but also for instance SSL were realized in this way. Later on the circuit was implemented by with integrated circuits. Okay, that made no sense. Okay. Um anyway, let's talk about the SSL, which is one of the most famous. I mean, we also got a bunch more. Smart Research has a bunch as well. Um, I also like to use VCA compressors for... My goodness, I use it all the time. I have two, three in my desk right now that I'm looking at. And they all sound really different. I wonder why VCA compressors sound so different too. I wonder if it's the it has anything to do with if it's the transformers on the output or the lack of. Um, but I find that as simple as VCA compressors are supposed to be, each one sounds wildly different, even with the same exact settings. I have and quite often use the Warm Audio Bus Comp for various different duties, most likely instrumental bus, uh, drums quite often as well. Um, I don't. I can tell you what I don't use it on. I typically don't use VCA on horns. 
I don't use VCA on strings. Mm -hmm. I typically don't use VCA on the voice, although mm -hmm. I assume it would sound good. But yeah, I mostly use it on bus or groupings rather yeah. than individual instruments. Yeah, it's always been described as a good form of glue. Uh, because it's pretty clean across the board. They do all, like you said, have different tones, but the the one major characteristic that they always have is like the sense of like, oh, it's pretty easy to glue things without having to do a dramatic amount of compression. And if you do do a dramatic amount of compression, it doesn't break apart and completely distort out like other compressors. That's true. It's faster than Verimu or any kind of tube or opto. And, and, and there's a lot more control than any type oh, of yeah. opto. Because, I mean, from what I understand, an opto compressor totally depends. The attack and release time totally depends on the opto cell. Yeah. So even if you have two of the same exact units, um, unless it's highly, highly um, uh, tested in the labs, like mm -hmm. it's, it's very difficult to have them precisionly matched. Do you remember do stereo, that uh... stereo work? Did you remember that they actually made like a stereo LA-2A rack unit uh, from UA? No, I, I don't. So you I know how I've... they make the 2610, the 276, and things of that nature, yeah, 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 where yeah, it's yeah. just so two modules similar. next yeah, yeah, to each yeah. other? Well, they took the LA-2A with its T4 cell and all, and they compacted it into one side. Um, and then they made a second channel, and they just called it a stereo unit. So for a little bit, you, there was actually a very small swing where they made stereo units, but the main complaint from the manufacturing side was that they couldn't actually perfectly match them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And then on the opposite hand, a VCA compressor is very easy to match, and it's very easy to control. That's cool. Um, let's go talk about what a VCA compressor is. So this is for the nerds. This episode is for the nerds out there. But I'm just going to start reading this to kind of pick and choose. Um, the most important parts of this article. A VCA compressor, as the name would suggest, is a compressor that utilizes a VCA or a voltage-controlled amplifier within its gain reduction circuit. The first question that comes to mind about when learning about VCA compressors is something along the lines of, if a compressor needs to attenuate signal level in order to reduce dynamic range, then why is a voltage-control amplifier used? Well, uh, yeah, so... Let me keep going here. In order to fully understand VCA compressors, let's define VCAs in more detail. What is a voltage-controlled amplifier? A VCA is an amplifier that alters its gain applied to an input or carrier signal in proportional, proportion to a control voltage or modulator signal, hence the name. VCAs can be used to amplify, attenuate, or otherwise control the amplitude of the input-slash-carrier signal. So the VCAs will be involved with, th with three signals. They are, one, the carrier. This is the input AC signal, or the audio signal, which is generally bipolar, having negative and positive amplitudes. Well, we see the waveform that goes up and down, right? It is a signal that becomes altered by the VCA itself. The modulator. This is the control voltage input, which is the VCA compressor, is unipolar, having only positive amplitude. That is the signal that effectively alters the audio signal carrier. So basically the carrier is the input source mm -hmm. and the modulator is the detection circuit, mm -hmm. um, oftentimes called the sidechain as well. Output the instantaneous product of the carrier and modulator as long as the modulator is positive. Oh my goodness, this is about to get more confusing, isn't it? I'm going to keep trying to simplify this as much as possible, but this is beyond... <laughs> I'm not going to pretend like this is easy to understand. The word amplifier in terms of voltage-controlled amplifier is misleading. The majority of VCA circuits do not exceed a gain ratio of 1, meaning that VCAs actually attenuate rather than amplify the signals. 
yeah, we got that. They attenuate, they, meaning they lower the volume. So VCA works like this. The stronger the control or voltage modulator uh, or the detection circuit, the, the highest the amplitude, the more carrier signal is passed through the input. This means a few things. At some control voltage modulator level, the full carrier signal level is passed through the output. When the control voltage modulator or vol voltage modulator level is zero or negative, no carrier signal is passed through to the output. Okay, at, at all the other points between zero and full, the modulator will have the effect of attenuating the carrier between the input and output of the VCA. And there's a little visualization. Uh, this is becoming really, really difficult. But let's talk about, I'm going to skip through here. Um... In order to have a continuous output signal without any flat lines or zero amplitude relative to the input signal, the modulator must be unipolar. This requires a sort of RMS, root mean square, detector and rectifier that will effectively read the average amplitude of the input signal and output varying a DC voltage that will always be positive. Okay, so VCA compressors are set to be RMS. Um which is more of the average rather than peak. Which makes sense why they wouldn't be as reactive. Like if it's an RMS, then it's only compressing based on averages versus... Actual peaks. Yeah. Like transient peaks. Okay. So that, that would make it smoother. Different VCA compressors are defined designed differently. However, the main idea is that the detected DC voltage will effectively lower the modulator signal level to attenuate the carrier. So the detector path will manipulate the modulator signal to achieve the typical compressor parameters. These parameters include the following. Uh, threshold ratio, attack, release, and knee. Okay, do we need to get into that? Threshold, the amplitude that limit, the amplitude limit that dictates when the compressor will engage and disengage. The ratio, the ratio of the input signal amplitude above the set threshold and the output signal amplitude above the threshold. I don't know if there's a more difficult or confusing, more technical way to describe describe yeah. these. This is a very technical artic article that is honestly beyond my understanding. Very, very much written by a much smarter man than I. Um, okay, but let's get into the characteristics of VCA compressor. So VCA compressors are awesome because they are very low in distortion. They're very clean. That's something that we've talked about. They have a very flexible threshold, um, ratio attack and release, and sometimes even knee mm -hmm. uh, controls. Uh, they're very capable of very fast attack and release times. They have a very transparent sound, which is the same exact thing of very low distortion. <laughs> I guess less colored. Capable of high levels of gain reduction. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at these VCA compressors here. I, even on the the gain reduction meter, I'm seeing 20 dBs. And I've seen them go more, too. Yeah, they, they, they're, that's kind of the reason why I like them on drums, because you can push them a little more. So, like, if you want it as a snap and pop, like, I love getting a good snare crack, right? And VCA compressors on a drum bus can help with that. But you can do a lot of compression before it starts, like, really destroying what source you're on. There you go, yeah. Well, you could compress... And destroy it in a good way. Yeah, as you can. well. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, typically less expensive than the Delta Mu or Tube, very Mu, uh, and optical compressors. That's interesting. Yeah. So they're a lot less expensive, which would make sense as to why they'd push to be so popular. If you can get a better sound or just as good of a sound, more control with less expensive. Um, that's how good VCA compressors are. I'm thinking like just because it's easier, 
this, mean this industry, yeah, yeah, this industry is not famous for adapting quickly to things that are easier. No. No. <laughs> no. Do you do you see the technology we're still using to this day? Uh, like I found the the dual LA two A thing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they were extremely short run. Like as soon as they announced it, they also announced its discontinuation. Um, but it's a very rare piece if you find them. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, UA has done a few of those. Okay. Um, and then lastly, this is really interesting. I've never thought of this. I've never seen anybody describe VC compressor like this, but it says may lack high end clarity. I could see that. It may lack high end clarity. I don't quite understand. So they're they're very fast, and because of that, I could imagine that maybe the way it responds, it kind of chips away at some of the detail. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, how how can you say that it's so clean? In a list of words to describe a compressor, you say that it's very little distortion, especially compared to other compressor yeah. types. It's very clean. But the and then it, the last thing muddy. is like, yeah, and yeah. then the top end is, yeah. What is that? What does that mean? I guess, May lack I guess high end clarity. Maybe the idea of clean is smooth. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it means. Because does it ever use the descriptor of transparent? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, there is a reason why each VCA compressor sounds slightly different. Mm. Now I'm going to be paying attention to the topic. I forgot end. the Shadow Hills was a VCA. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're looking through different uh, compressors that are. I actually did like my shadow, but that actually descriptor, the descriptor you just gave about like the top end not being so clean actually makes sense with that shadow hills. Cause I always mentioned that it made things just a little bit darker. So it worked well for like really bright tracks. Um, and you wouldn't have to do anything. It, it just running straight through. It made it darker. Yeah. This, this website is actually really incredible and they have a bunch of other things too. So shout out to my new That's my new That is a mouthful, but it's a good website. Holy name. cow, dude. There's um there's a lot of other topics that you can read about, including peak metering compression, RMS metering compression, feedback compression, feed forward compression, upward limiting. Uh, there's a lot of different things, but let's read this last paragraph here should compression be used on every track as general rule compression should be used with intent we talk about that yeah, every single all time. The time literally just talked about that with the client where um he had brought up um you know he's had songs mixed by chris lord algae and everybody and he's like you know and one of the challenges he's going through is he said uh he was mixing a song put plugins on almost every track and everything he thought he found like the sweet spot and everything then he decided to unbypass uh, to bypass everything it was like the song sounds better yeah <laughs> or i mean bypass. even the even the the clear headedness to try it and to understand that it does be open-minded enough to realize that it sounds better without everything because yeah. i feel like most people get stuck and they're like for sure certain so even if they most of them won't decide to bypass but even if they do they still can't hear that there's yeah. no way that without everything on sounds better yeah right um so i think that's awesome but uh yeah and therefore only be used on every track in the case that every track would require it. So let's uh, let's talk about when is compression required. Real really quick. high ranges of, uh, I guess, really high dynamic range. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's a really practical yeah. tool. 
It's yeah. supposed to make things easier to listen to. Yeah, like if you think about like drums, uh, I'm sure you already know, like anybody can play quietly and some people can at some point just give you a nice big rim shot on that snare. Um, and that's just like everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, compression can actually help you keep everything in a pocket so that you can listen to the performance without it really spiking through your headphones. Yeah, it is a really practical tool, right? Yeah. Like the, it's so we don't have to turn up and down the volume in the car. Yeah, this is this is like a real thing. Um, classical music does this all the time because there's significantly less compression on classical music but you hear the beginning the intro sometimes it's very quiet and then all of a sudden towards the end or in the middle it gets very large and very big and the dynamic range is so large and so different between the quietest part and the loudest part that you might have to turn up and down the volume in the song which to a regular consumer in a car setting is fucking annoying and difficult to listen to. In fact, statistics show that if in a podcast that is poorly mixed, that you have to turn up and down the volume in order to hear the different guests at the same volume. So like the talking voices between the hosts are really different. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, statistically, nobody's going to listen to that episode. Yeah. To be honest, I'm that way with YouTube. Like if you have a YouTube channel and the video is very quiet, it's already kind of like... Damn, I really don't like turning my my speakers up because I don't want to get surprised by the next track, so I'll just move on to the next thing. Yeah, which is true. Yeah. This is a real thing, and that's not coming from us being engineers. Like that's a regular consumer uh statistic. So, um compressors are really useful. Yeah. They're really useful. But it is it is often overused. I mean, one of the side effects of compression is that slamming thing that we're talking about mm-hmm. with drums. You bring out the rooms, you bring out the sustain of the room. Um, you can really tame and squash the transient, which makes the snare sound harder, mm-hmm. you know, uh, fatter. Um, but anyway, uh, there's there's some other color things that um, make compression sound great beyond the practical use. But anyway, uh, more often than not, there will be certain tracks in a mix that should sound perfectly fine and better without dynamic range compression. Once again, the typical benefits of using compression on a track include, but are not limited to, the following. Maintaining a more consistent level across the entirety of the audio signal or track. Mm -hmm. Now, that's one of the secrets to getting loud as well. And there's different types of ways to control the volume. Compression is just one of them, but you also got like saturation. Automation for one. (laughs) Automation. There you go. Literally. Automation. Um, You got saturation as well. Any sort of like um, clipping. Yeah. Right. Distortion. Actually, I like clipping, and sometimes I like overdoing the clipper. Like, I like the way some of them break up. Yeah, and each of them slightly break up slightly differently. Yeah, they break up slightly differently. So, um, yeah, clipping is awesome. All right, preventing overloading and clipping. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I'm I'm reading again from the list. The benefits of using compression is to prevent clipping, (laughs) even though we just talked about how we like it. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah, side-chaining elements together, enhancing sustain, enhancing transients it's it's interesting one of the uh pieces of equipment vca compressors that i have in my desk right now is the tegler audio magnetismus 2 and it is they call it on their website a transient designer you were asking me Mm -hmm. about it it's literally a vca compressor that feeds into a um tape emulated saturation circuit so what it does is that the compression if you're supposed to hyper compress it so it really really kicks that initial transient through and you can change the attack and release mm-hmm. time. Um, and then you can round out that created that 
that created transient with the saturation circuit. Nice. So you kind of got this like boosted hyper sharp transient from the compressor unit with hyper compression and uh, good amounts of makeup gain. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, saturation, which rounds out that initial peak a little bit more. So mm -hmm. they call it the, uh, the their version of a transient designer. So transient control. So you can create sustain. You can control or enhance transients with the compressor if you, uh, with you if used correctly. You can add quote movement to a signal. Yeah, yeah, that's that. interesting. What do you think it means to add movement? I'm thinking right now. So, I'm, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. In mastering, sometimes uh, you're asked to maintain a groove, right? So sometimes you're actually listening to the compression and seeing how it actually affects like the rhythmic pattern. Because sometimes compression can take down a kick that is kind of driving the pattern, right? And the goal is not necessarily to take that bit of movement away. So sometimes you're listening for the effect to said movement through that's, compression. Yeah, that's a good point. Like sometimes I've done... Uh, compression on a mix bus or on an instrumental bus that is, or even a, yeah, just that it makes just everything sound sidechain because it's compressing the entire signal, yep. right? And the release time is slow enough mm -hmm. where you can kind of hear it pumping, but in a good way. Yeah. So what I've done in the past, just to kind of like recreate like more of a push, but compressing at the same time is like parallel it and only get the kick and snare to really punch through that compressor. And then feed that one in a little bit so that it's getting a little more volume through this parallel compression, right? But you're actually maintaining some of that groove by letting the kick and snare bleed through that compression. Yeah. There you go. So adding movement to a signal. Yeah. Adding depth to a mix. Now, this is interesting. Um, I do think that more often than not, people that are still learning about how to properly use compression think that just compressors in general um, add movement or add depth to a mix. I do think that controlled dynamic range mm -hmm. does add depth to the mix. Mm -hmm. um, but I do not think that just because you use a compressor, compressors inherently make things sound bigger or wider yeah. or deeper. That's a that's a huge common misconception with like, especially at like even at an intermediate stages, uh, you'll find people who are like, oh, I'm thinking about buying this piece. Like I'm going to put it on my master bus and it should make my mixes better. It's like, well, in what context? It's like, oh, I heard these have like great width and stuff. It's like, have you, have you tried it though? Yeah, so I, I do think, we're not even, well, I, okay, I'm going to talk about it. I do think one of the dangers of spending a lot of money buying hardware gear is that feeling that you spent money on it, so you have to use it. Yeah. Right? It must be good. You have to use it. And that's one of the dangers. Um, no, not every song sounds good with compression no. of any type. Yeah. And there's many sources and songs where a specific type of compression or setting Mm -hmm. sounds makes does make it better and other settings or other types of compressors do yeah. not make it sound better in general i do not think compressors naturally make things sound bigger or deeper it's it's good use of that compression um, yeah. not compression by default all right uh also continue this list uncovering nuanced information in an audio signal that's true that's true you yeah. hear i mean it brings out the smaller details that maybe got hidden behind all those louder ranges. Great example. You kept talking about snare today. Ghost notes. Yeah. You want to hear those ghost notes? You flatten yep. the signal, the dynamic range, and all of a sudden the ghost notes are louder or more similar in volume compared to the main notes. Yep. By smashing the big, the big hits, the big snare hits, mm -hmm. you bring out the small little nuance. Yeah, that's a great, great example. Um, 
DSing. Now that's a good use of high pass filter. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed. Uh, so who was it? There, there is one unit on the market, and I, I, I haven't seen it on another, and I'm having a hard time remembering it. But it has a sidechain filter up to 5K, and I always thought it was weird until like it really made me think. Like, oh, wait, does the comp Te- Tegler, the Tegler the Tegler Schwercraft machine in VCA has that high has, of a sidechain? Yeah, does have a sidechain? Oh hell, hell does yeah, have a DSer. Yeah, I mean it's an option. I mean this specific oh. unit has eleven different compression modes. Um, the Manly Vox Box also has it, where there their deesser circuit really is just another compressor with a really high side chain. There it is. That's all yeah. it. I mean that's all. That's it all is. it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it yeah. is. Yeah. So deessing. Yeah, because you can only choose one of the two, I believe. Like you can only enable the compressor or the deesser. Yeah, and then the last thing on this list of benefits of a compressor is quote gluing a mix together making it more cohesive Mm. i want to end this episode on talking about what the fuck is glue well you're talking to the man yeah today today yeah lou glue is an overused overused term in the audio industry but there's a reason why i think it continues to be used Mm -hmm. what do you think try and this is something that we constantly try to describe to our interns our students Mm -hmm. when you hear glue in a mix Mm -hmm. what are you hearing what what should people be listening for so listen this is what helped me um so i hope this descriptor helps everybody else but when things sound very isolated like when you've recorded drums and uh, there's no room mic, for instance. It's kind of hard to hear the, all those elements as part of like a room, like you're standing there. Um, glue style compression helps you kind of bring elements together that may have felt a little more isolated in the mix and make them feel a little more unison because now they all groove with a similar sense of pump. So because of that, they all feel like they're all kind of part of one unison thing versus all individual elements that are just being compressed. They feel like they're being hugged together. That's actually a really great description. I, I, something similar. I say that it's like a hamburger Mm -hmm. that's big and it tastes good all together. But, but if then you, you squish, like, it, squish it, yeah, yeah you, you squeeze the hamburger bun yeah. and then it's easier to eat. Yeah. I was going to say uh, you squeeze the hamburger bun and suddenly it's just a little juicier. Oh, yeah. The juices mm. come out too. Yeah. Mm. Um, God damn it. I'm supposed to exercise right after this. I can't go for a break. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, I think that that's the case, right? So there's the, it adds a sense of cohesion. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Like, it, it really is, like, for me, that big, def- uh, like, definition of a hug to me. Like, all, you hear the drum set and you hear the bass, but then you add a little bit of compression to, like, a drum and bass bus, and suddenly they feel a little more in pocket with each other. The compression that they're both going through is in unison and things of that nature. So it feels a little more like they're in the same room with each other. That's true. That's true. That I think that's the point. It yeah. feels like it's in the same room with each other. When we say that, it's like kind of literally, mm-hmm. but it's also just in the sense of a sound. Our our brains do something when things don't feel the same. We've I've yeah. done this in mixing. Like I I mix the drums. I think the drums sound great independently. I mix the strings. I think that sounds great independently. I mix the the synths, but it still sounds really separated. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? There's yeah. like this like sensation. it's a little too perfect. Yeah, perfect or like. It's not cohesive. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and that's a sensation that is difficult to describe unless you've heard it firsthand. I'm here. Yeah. I'm hoping 
that listeners know what I'm talking about. You know what? Put a VCA on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But the... uh, I'm I'm thinking, is there? I think there might be already. But uh Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but the I think the point is that that glue, the reason why we say glue is because what it does is it takes all the different sections, all the different individual tracks, and it glues them together to feel more cohesive. It feels like there's more teamwork. And it's gotcha. subtle. It's subtle. Yeah. But the instruments aren't working separately. They sound great separately, but they're working together now. Yeah. And I don't know why exactly compression, such a technical and practical invention, mm-hmm. translate music translates the music in an emotional matter like that. Yeah. Because like this, this, hmm, this glue, mm-hmm. this cohesion, this. I mean, pushing the burger together. What what yeah. example did you use? You use uh, like if you have like drum and bass, a uh, full band recording, right? Guitar, yeah. bass, drums, uh, maybe some keys, but everything was so well recorded that it almost sounds isolated. Um, even if they were in the same room, but sometimes bringing up that little bit of VCA compression on the master bus exaggerates the reverb a little bit, exaggerates mm. the delay a little bit, exaggerates like the room mics a little bit. Yeah, it feels together. It's yeah. interesting that it it. Connects to such an emotional response. Yeah. And I don't think that was necessarily intended at design right away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they were like, oh, this sounds clean and better. It's cheaper to build. We can put this to market immediately. Yeah. Yeah. We can make money off of this. (laughs) Yeah. Who would have thought? Wow. Um, But I'm trying to describe this. And I think this is something that we forget. And maybe we close the episode with this is that all the tools that we have somehow create an emotional response. Yeah. And that is the entire point of the tools. Yes, they were made because of a capitalist society. People wanted to solve problems. Yeah. And in this case, the problem was dynamic control, Mm -hmm. too much dynamic range. Um, They thought they, you know, someone made it in in hopes to profit off of it and to add some good to this world, and it did. Mm -hmm. But then it turned into something interesting, an emotional response. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we use it now to exaggerate and create emotional response to a song, to an audio signal. I think that's one of the most interesting things about mixing is that I think a great mixer doesn't forget that mixing is there to create and exaggerate an emotional response. Yeah. One of the reasons why people love music so much. I mean, you watch movies, you watch TV shows. We do this all the time. Sometimes we have music sitting in the background, just mm-hmm. in the background, and it creates an ambiance. Mm-hmm. Music can sometimes be some sort of party, dumb thing just to have fun, but it can also be really complex yeah. and create diverse amounts of flavor in the atmosphere. It changes mm-hmm. the mood. I mean, think about a scene of a movie with the background music and a scene of a movie without it. It changes the mood completely. Think of a documentary. Yeah. It, it changes the the intention of a scene yeah. of a moment. Like if it, you play a major scale versus a minor scale. It cha- yeah. It changes a, fu- a funeral. Yeah. It changes. Imagine a, a funeral slideshow. with all major scales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like you're looking at a, a slideshow of music in the past and depending on the music, you have different emotional reaction to it, mm-hmm. to the slideshow. Is this a sad thing? Is this a happy thing? Or is this a nostalgic thing is it supposed to be soothing or is it meant to be aggressive i mean music it's, could literally be nostalgic based on tone alone 
Yeah, it's, it's just so interesting that sounds, vibrations in the air can mm. invoke such a cool emotional response in humans. And I think that's part of the reason why I still do music and I love it so much. Yeah. And I think that people forget that that's what a compressor is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That's what EQs is supposed to do. It's all about that emotional response. And one of the most difficult things that we do as a as engineers is we try to we are the mediums between mm-hmm. technical and emotional. Yeah. Which is a very difficult job. Yeah. A producer, a songwriter is all emotional. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of times I ask people emotional. what they want as an end result because some people are looking for a technical end result, some people for an emotional end result, and it doesn't matter if you're an engineer or an artist. Usually it just kind of lands on emotional most times where they're like, I want it to just feel a little bit better. It's like, what does that mean? It's like, I don't know. Like, I figured you might be able to help with this. It's like, all right, cool. And my all my goals at that moment are not anything like, well, if we get a two to one ratio at a negative 16 threshold. Yeah, you need to know that. How yeah, to, uh, you need to actually separate yourself from the numbers and put yourself in the pocket of the listener. That's exactly right. What a great way to end this episode. Just a thoughtful moment there. I do think yeah. that the difference between a great engineer and a, and a good engineer is is that emotional connection, which no. is really difficult yeah. because in this industry, to, in order to be a successful engineer or a successful um, self-employed entrepreneur in general, mm-hmm. is is oftentimes you'd need to be logical. Yeah. You have to kind of... And part of that logic is knowing when not to do something. Yeah. Or when like, it literally does not serve the song. Not It serves the ego to do something sometimes, but it doesn't serve the song. The the yang from yin and yang, that mm-hmm. logic, that that business side, the facts and data side of you have to do well in order to be, the for the yin to come out, the creative, feminine, chaotic side of yep. you to come out. And you need both. Um, anyway... Sorry, I'm I'm starting to get on a trans uh, on, not a transient transient designer, huh? <laughs> I'm starting to get on a tangent. Um, so we're gonna end this episode up. Uh, the challenge for you this week from this episode is to try VSA compressor compression. Try to use too much. This is a great this is a great tip to add. Um, if you want to figure out if how what settings, what attack and release times, high pass filters, etc., sound great. Hyper compress the signal. Like yep. do more than eight dBs of gain reduction as much as you can. Match it with the makeup gain, and then all you have to do is touch the attack and release time. Sometimes the you might have to adjust the makeup gain because yeah. the more attack you get, the less compression it usually. The more does. release you get, you know. You know, same. so so um, you know, hear it out and and do extreme amounts of compression. Figure out which attack and release sounds the best to you and maybe that's a good way to practice hearing compression yeah um and then dial it back a shit ton yeah (laughs) that's all it is that's all it is maybe we maybe this week you try to make things pump intentionally for that movement we talked about yeah instead of going to the gym get the pump in your studio (laughs) okay and uh uh yeah that's lastly i think the most important thing is to remember to stay connected emotionally to that song and and remember that Mm -hmm. compression is just a tool to do that don't get lost in the sauce of the technical stuff. All right. Well, on that note, we hope that you become better mixers. We hope that you uh, find more success with your business, especially as the winter months come. Mm-hmm. And we say to you, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy.
We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio based out of Berlin. Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment, everything from compressors, both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers and to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwarcraft machine, which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressor. I mean, this thing is built to the brim with tubes and and transformers it's fantastic they have digitally controlled analog gear which i'm a huge huge fan of they've got two different pieces of that they've got 500 series gear so whether you're a tracking engineer a mixing engineer or a mastering engineer you need to check out this high quality company tegler and guess what their prices they're not they're not crazy they're mid-range prices for high-end equipment they're like a fantastic company. We love them so much. And if you want 10% off any of their gear, you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly, or I'll link it in mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R, and use the code MMPOD to get 10% off your next order. Now back to the show.